Good morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at a familiar story in the Scriptures. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And as you're turning there, just as a reminder, we've I've been going through this sermon series we're calling Love Walked Among Us, uh, where we're, the goal of the sermon series is twofold. We really want to experience the love of Christ as we go through and look in the, at his ministry in the Gospels so that we might be able to go embody that love out in the world. So we want to experience the love of Christ so that we might embody the love of Christ. And Clint did such a great job preaching about Matthew chapter 9, about how when Jesus looked at uh, the, the crowds, he had compassion on them, and he called out, and he, you know, they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Um, and he gave us a call to think about la- the laborers of the harvest, and even a call to pray for laborers. And I want to kind of think through that even more with you today as we talk, talk about the Good Samaritan. Uh, as we think about being embodying Christ, and we think about our mission as a church, one of the pathways forward, if you will, of, as we think about m- our mission is how we respond to needs. One of the pathways as we think about mission is how we f- respond to the needs in our neighborhood. It could be a person that you see on the sidewalk that is shivering in the freezing cold. It could be uh, the elderly who are struggling to live on their own, even at Brandon Towers as we think about people there. Could be the men who've lost their jobs looking for opportunities, or the women who've been mistreated and they find themselves at local shelters. It could be the youth in our neighborhood who end up victims of violence. It could be the hundreds of families in East Atlanta who rely on local food pantries. Or it could be the rising housing prices that are driving out longtime families in our neighborhood. You can fill in the blank however you want, but I want you to begin as we look at this passage to think about what comes up in your mind when you think about the needs that you see, that, that you see around you, that you experience. How are we going to respond to those needs? Maybe you're thinking of someone right now, or maybe of one of the many overwhelming needs in our community. And as we think about this pathway of a mission of responding to needs, one of the sort of driving principles that we've been talking about that's going to move us towards mission, that's going to empower us, is this driving principle. Like, how you experience Christ equals how you treat others. And I want you to be thinking about that. How you experience Christ is going to equal how you respond to needs. (laughs) How you experience Christ especially responding to your own needs, is going to equal how you respond to the needs around you. And I want you to kind of keep that principle because that's what we're driving at. We want to we look at how Christ has especially met our own needs and how that motivates us and empowers us to go out and to respond to the needs of our community. And so I want to I look at this passage with you, and, and there's a reason I want to look at this passage with you, because I think that this passage is often misunderstood and misinterpreted. Um, and I want to dig in there, I want to dig into this passage with you, and I want to look at it pretty carefully with you, and I want to, to come up with one particular application. And so let's, let's look at this passage together, uh, especially in the, the Gospel of Luke. We've got, kind of been moving back and forth through different passages and different Gospels, if you think about the Gospel of Luke, Luke is, the, is a gospel of action. It's a gospel of action. 
Luke is, call, is giving us stories because he wants people to respond in action. And Jesus has been preaching that God's kingdom has come through him, and he's calling his people to follow him in faith and action. And so we, we come across this, this passage here, and one of the religious leaders puts him to the test and questions him in this passage. So let's read this together. Follow along with me in your Bibles that are um, in the pews if you would like to use one. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on him oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for... Uh, the power of your word, that we can open up your word and we can experience you, Jesus, in it. Thank you that your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing flesh even. I pray that, that your word would be so powerful, Spirit, that we would experience you, that this is not just an episode that we would read about, but this is an episode that we would enter into and see ourselves in it and be able to see your world through it in a different way. I do pray that we would experience you, Jesus. Open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Open our hearts to receive you with faith. We do pray that your word will be the power of salvation for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I, I, kids, I want you, did you guys get this? I want you to make sure you got this because I'm going to be asking you a couple questions at the end. We're going to be digging into the passage and I want to make sure that you, uh, that you uh, take a few notes because I want, to, I want to ask you a question at the end because I want to hear what you have to say. So we are going to, before we jump to conclusions about what this passage shows us, the Good Samaritan, 
um, and how we can respond to those in need, because often I think we kind of jump over the meaning of the text just to get to application. I do want to spend some time going through this passage and kind of digging in and seeing what this means. And we're going to dig in by looking particularly at the characters of the passage. Whenever you see an episode, a parable, or an episode in scriptures that are primarily character-driven, it's important for us to look at these characters and kind of follow them a little bit to see what we can figure out. And first of all, I want to look at the lawyer. As we come into here, I want to look at the lawyer. So uh, as we look at this passage, you can keep your Bibles open. Um, Especially want to look at the questions from the lawyer that prompt Jesus to tell this story. The lawyer actually has an answer to how we are to respond to those in need. He actually has an answer, and we find that out at, in his dialogue with Jesus. The lawyer has heard Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, and he wants to test him about it. He wants to f- test him, so he asks them, what should I do, I do to inherit eternal life? It sounds like a question of like, hey, how can I get into heaven? It's kind of the question you would think that he's asking, and it's a little bit part of that. That's part of it. He's kind of asking, hey, how can I get into the kingdom of heaven, but he's also kind of asking in tandem with that, how can I live and act in it? How can I get into the heaven, but also how can I live and act in it? And the way Jesus answers sounds like he's saying, you tell me, what does the scripture say? Jesus kind of puts it right back on him. He says, you tell me, this is, I love how Jesus does this in the scriptures. He, He answers a question with a question. You tell me, what did the scriptures say? And one of the things I love about Jesus, by the way, that I hope you see in this passage, is that Jesus is always drawing people out. He's always drawing people out. He doesn't just give them the answer right away. And that's what Jesus does with you, too. He's always drawing you out over time. Drawing you out. He wants to get to know who you are. He wants a relationship with you. He says, you tell me, what does the Scripture say? So the lawyer, knowing his Scripture, says the the answer. Love God love neighbor. That's the answer. And Jesus says, you're correct. Simple as that, right? (laughs) Do this and you will live. When Jesus said this, the lawyer is beginning to reveal himself a little bit too, right? Jesus was drawing him out because in the original language, when he says, do this and you shall live, in the original Greek uh, language, this actually means do this continually and with the totality of who you are. If you were to look at it, do this continually and with the totality of who you are. And that's what all of us deserve. <laughs> that's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. We deserve a love that is continual and total. Right? And he, but he's saying, you do this, lawyer. You go and love God with the totality of who you are and with the continual nature of who you are. We are all meant to live that way and to be loved that way. That's how we are made. And when we see the needs of our neighbors, there's something in us that echoes about that. When we see our neighbors in need, there's something that echoes. And we realize that even our individual efforts and even the efforts of our organizations can't meet that standard. You and I cannot meet that standard of others to be continually and totally Love where all the needs are met at all times. But what really, the, ju- the, law- the lawyer really just wants to justify himself. He really just wants to, to prove that he's right and that his way of living is right. That's what it means to justify yourself. It means that I'm right and the way I'm living is right and I want to prove it. 
In other words, the lawyer wants to know that he's okay. You ever want to know that you're okay, that your system of life is okay? Just tell me I'm doing okay. Just tell me I'm kind of doing it right. Just tell me that I'm, I'm on the right path. Or maybe we get even not just like, just, just tell me that, but, I, but maybe we get sometimes really defensive, like, no, I am doing the right thing. You ever get defensive like that? You ever get in an argument with your siblings? No, I'm doing it the right way. Our system of life is right, especially when we find out that even when we put our best effort together, it's not really enough. That even when we put together our best efforts, needs still go unmet. The lawyer tries to justify himself then by asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's pushing it even further. This answer is not enough. He wants to push it even further because, again, what the, what the motive of the lawyer is is he's trying, to, he's trying to test Jesus. And let me explain why he's trying to do that. He says, who is my lawyer? Because the lawyer is operating in the system of Jewish thought. He thinks that Jesus has misunderstood who his neighbor is. Because what has Jesus been doing in his ministry? Who has he been going to? Has he only been going to the Jews and meeting the needs of the Jews? No, he's going to the Gentiles. He healed a Roman centurion. He went to the land of the Gentiles to heal a demon-possessed man. The lawyer understands, like his way of thinking, the lawyer's way of thinking is from this passage, Leviticus 19.18, which says this, You shall not bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The religious leaders understood their neighbor to be the sons of their own people. So when the lawyer asks this, he's thinking, my neighbor is the person who is like me, who looks like me, namely it's, the, it's a Jew, who looks like me, who's a part of it, the people of Israel. My neighbor is not anybody else. It's only somebody who is a part of the Israel, Israelite community. This was his system of thought and belief. This was his system of life. And this was his answer to how we should respond to the needs of others. So that's why he tests him. That's why he tests Jesus. He's trying to say, who's my neighbor? Because he's, he's operating on that system of thought and that system of belief. We all try to justify ourselves in different ways, don't we? Don't we try to justify ourselves in all sorts of ways? And maybe, like, I experienced this text as Jesus drawing me out in this text, just like he's drawing the lawyer out. Maybe he's drawing you out in this text too. I want you to continue as we look at the story and dive into the next three characters. Here's where we get the story of the Good Samaritan. It addresses this question of how we are to respond to needs, and it directly addresses, Jesus knows what the lawyer's asking. He knows what the lawyer's asking. He knows that he operates on this system of belief and thought. And so this is the parable that Jesus gives him. So let's Stick with me now. We're continue, kids, stick with me. We're con continuing to go down this passage. We're going to look at these different characters. We looked at the lawyer. Now we're going to look at, at uh, these three characters in the story of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus starts by telling us the need. Right? He starts by telling us the need. He says this, A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And there's one thing that you should know about the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was straight downhill. It was very dangerous, a very dangerous road where he could meet a lot of trouble. This man did meet a lot of trouble. He came across robbers who stripped him 
and beat him and left him half dead. Stripped him, beat him, and left him half dead. The man had no clothing. He had no identification. He could not talk to anybody. The only category that this man fits into is the category of need, right? He is needy. He can't even express his own need. He's lying there in the ditch by himself. And this is where we get the first two characters who come by and see him, right? A priest traveled by the man in need, and what did he do? He saw him, and what does the text say? He passed by on the other side. A priest! You would think the priest would be the one who wants to come and help him, right? The priest is the one, is the man who is in religious clothing. But the priest is, has other things in mind. The priest has got to go to, to, to perform the sacrificial, sacrificial ritual system. He's got to go, and he's got to go do his service in the temple. He was probably concerned about that. He was probably concerned about the fact that if he helped this man, he could become impure and unclean. By touching, maybe this guy was dead. Maybe he was a corpse. There were laws about that, that you shouldn't touch a corpse. This man was even, this man that we know of him in the ditch, he was actually a Jew. <laughs> so why wouldn't this man go help his own, person, his own people? Maybe he couldn't tell. Maybe all he could tell was this man was in need, and for whatever reason, he decided that he had appointments to keep, he had places to go, he had a system to, to uphold, and that's where he wanted to stay on, that's just that, that, that path. Don't we all do that sometimes? <laughs> you see a need, and you think, I've got appointments to keep. I've got places to go. I've got people to see. And we pass by on the other side. The priest chose to keep going and to ignore the need. So then comes a Levite, traveled by the man, and when he came to the place, he saw him. And what did he do? He passed by on the other side, the same thing. Now, a Levite is a little bit different than a priest. Should the Levite, you know, why, why would he pass by? Probably a similar situation with the priest, actually. He was either coming from a service, a service uh, at the temple or to, he was going to a service at the temple. And he probably knew the priest ahead of him ignored the man in need. And he saw the meeting and he didn't respond. So maybe he was concerned about following sort of the example or the response of his superior. All we know is that we, he saw the need and he passed by on the other side. So we have a priest, somebody who's high up in the system of Israel. We have a Levite, somebody also who's high up in the system of Israel, who see a need and they ignore it. They respond by passing by on the other side. Again, remember, this is Jesus talking to the lawyer who's trying to test him. And then we enter in, we, who is going to respond to this need? And Jesus explains that a Samaritan was traveling down the road. Now, again, if you've probably heard this before from different passages, maybe from this passage, this passage Samaritans were not one of the Jewish people. <laughs> they were not one of their own. They were exactly the opposite. They were racially and religiously considered impure by the Jews, and they were long-term enemies. And it was the Samaritan who came to the place where the man in need was. And when he, if you remember the passage, he saw him, and then he had compassion on him. And here's where I want to really push it 
into where I want this sermon to go. He didn't just see him. He just didn't have compassion on him. But what did he do? He took action. (laughs) The whole part, next few verses, describe the action that he took. He went to him. He didn't just see him. He went to him. And what did he do? He went to him and he cared for him. The way he responded was with a continual and total kind of love and care. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his animal. And remember, this man can't lift himself. He must lift him up and hold him the entire way they're riding to the inn. And he walks beside him and he brought him to an inn. And not just does he leave him at the inn, but he takes care of him there. He takes care of him at the inn. And the next day, he left two denarii, money, so that this man could continually get care. And then he even says, hey, whatever the cost is, I'm going to repay, I'm going to come back and repay you. Again, it gets back to this idea, this, this picture of total and continual care and love. And he did that while he, the Samaritan responded to the need with total and continual love while putting his own concerns about himself aside. He could have easily been along the road, been jumped by bandits. The Samaritan could himself. He could have been identified as the one who beat the man and then been killed himself. He could have been manipulated by the innkeeper. There's all sorts of risks that he took. But the Samaritan decided that his compassion would lead him to action. And he would take those risks because he cared so deeply. And Jesus ends the story there. And he asked the lawyer the same question, but did you hear it? He asked it with a different spin. He asked this question, who proved to be the neighbor? Do you see the difference? The lawyer asked him, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, who proved to be the neighbor? In other words, who took action to be his neighbor? Who became his neighbor? And the lawyer gives the obvious answer, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Okay? All right. So I just wanted to kind of go through that story with you for a minute. And now I want to kind of push this into, okay, now that we've seen all these characters and what they did or didn't do, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for who we are like, where, do we, where are we supposed to find ourselves in this story? Or where are we supposed to find Jesus in this story? So I want to talk with you about that for a second. First, we must understand where we're, where we're supposed to find ourselves in the story. When Jesus changed the question at the end of the story, he changed the subject. When he said, who proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, Jesus takes the focus off of the lawyer. What he must do. He he takes the focus off of what the lawyer must do and he puts it on what he must receive. He takes it off of what he must do and he puts it on what he must receive. The man is the one in need. And that's all we know about him. How must we understand the Good Samaritan? The one who responded to his need. The one who became his neighbor. Remember when the Samaritan first came on the scene, he had compassion on the man. It's important that we understand this word. This phrase is only ever used to describe the character of God himself. This compassion. That God himself has compassion on us. 
the love and mercy for his people that are in need. And the actions that the Samaritan takes are, are actually the actions that Jesus takes in his life and ministry. He became our neighbor. He comes to us in our need. He meets you where you are in all your trouble. He comes to you and binds up your wounds and carries you with all the resources he has to heal you. That is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's the action that he took for us. Jesus became our neighbor. And this is where I wanted to, to just take a moment to, to talk with you about that because I think so much we just read this passage is something we're supposed to just go and copy and do. Like, I need to go be like the Good Samaritan. But, you know, you've heard like Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the good shepherd. You know, you can think about all, how we in the Gospels hear these titles of Jesus. Jesus is the good neighbor. <laughs> He's the good neighbor who has loved you. Jesus is telling a story ultimately about himself that he himself is the one who has been the neighbor to the world in the world's deepest need. And that completely disrupts the way in which the Jew, this lawyer thinks and acts. Jesus became our neighbor. One of the things that I, you know, I, I want to challenge you to think about, and, and this is kind of, I want to give a little bit, this is what we're going to be doing more of in our family meetings. One of the things that I... I as I was in this, looking through this passage, I wanted to kind of think about my own self and how I've experienced this in my life. And one of the ways I've been encouraged to do that is to think about some of the most vulnerable times in my own life when I've experienced exactly what this passage describes. And maybe you can begin to think about that uh, in your own life. But I want to tell you a quick story about my, my life. One of the most vulnerable times in my life was about 15 years ago. I had lost my dad, and then within two years, I lost my mom, both to cancer. And I was getting ready for the, my mom's funeral, and at this point, I was, to be honest with you, I was probably at one of the most vulnerable times of my life. I felt like I had been kind of left for dead myself, because it kind of felt like God was just taking people from me that I really loved. And it was really hard for me. And I was really feeling alone, and I was feeling very vulnerable kind of like the man who <laughs> fell among the robbers, if you will. Like I was feeling probably one of the most vulnerable times of my life when I was just kind of, I couldn't conjure up faith by myself. And a mentor of mine sent me a text message. I remember where I was when I got the text message. I remember exactly what it said. He said, I pray, David, that you can hear the Lord's staff beating on the ground. Why would he say that to me? Because he heard me preach a sermon about a year before that, on Psalm 23, when I talked about how the Lord's staff guides his people by day and also by night. And the way in which God's staff guides his people through night, the, the way a shepherd would use his staff was he would beat his staff on the ground at night so that the sheep would know his presence. And let me tell you, that text still reverberates through my soul. It still is there. I can, it it kind of like was the way in which I experienced Christ. It was the way in which I held on. It was almost like Christ used that to come and grab me out of the ditch and to pull me and to care for me and to bind up my wounds. I still get healing from that. And that's what I want you to, to encourage you. Where, where are you vulnerable? Where have you experienced Christ in the vulnerable places in your life? Maybe it's a loss that you've had. 
Maybe it's an addiction you're suffering through. Maybe it's a disease that you're dealing with. In what way is Christ reaching out to you and showing you his care? Because this is what Christ does. (laughs) He uses people. He uses people to be that love and care, to extend that compassion, to take action. And I've been a recipient of that. And because of that, that has helped me. Because I've experienced the care of Jesus through those words, I can be somebody who can go out and share that. You see, once we understand the story, then we can go and do likewise. Once we, be, once we can connect with the, the characters in the story, then we can go and do likewise. Once you re- recognize that Jesus has met you in your most vulnerable place, in your darkest place, that Jesus is actually there. See, sometimes, that's what, often as believers, I've, as a pastor, I have meet with a lot of people, and it's like, well, Jesus is present with me, but, but not there, not in my darkest sin, not in my darkest place where I really need him. And I'm here to tell you, yes, he is. <laughs> he is there. And he's there to give you his compassion. And he has taken action in his life and ministry for you. And until you believe that, until I believe that, we're going to be people that are just kind of in a cycle of, of just kind of navel-gazing, trying to find their way. But that's what's going to drive you and me to be people of mission, which once we experience Christ in that way, when you see a need, so it changes the way we understand need. When you see a need, you don't think of, that the person needs your love. <laughs> you think that the person needs Jesus' love. It's not about you extending your love or me extending my love. In that case, I felt the love of Christ because of the words that my mentor said to me. You see, we all share a need together. And you, you or me or some organization is not the Savior it's Jesus who's the Savior, but we are people who embody that. We are people who, who are able to, to live that out. Jesus is your Savior, and Jesus is their Savior, and we receive compassion from Jesus, and we can go and do likewise. I'll tell you another story about one of the times I found myself in a place where I needed to take action. Now, again, these are like really extreme examples. I'm about to give you an extreme example. I lived in New York City for 10 years, and I was uh, actually getting on the subway at uh, the L train at 14th Street, trying to go home in Brooklyn. And I uh, came down. I had just finished visiting uh, a family in our church who had a baby. So I was kind of on, you know, really happy. And I walked down the stairs, and I saw this woman sitting at the very edge of, of, um, of the subway, kind of hanging her legs over. And it was like in this moment... The whole sub, everybody in the subway kind of just, all the people just stopped. And they began to kind of stare at each other. Like, what is this woman doing? Why is she over there? Why does she have her legs hanging off of the side of the subway? And everybody kind of, there was this sort of moment of paralysis where we all just like, I just felt it. Like, what are we going to do? Everybody kind of looked at each other. And that moment felt like an eternity. Like, what's this woman going to do? Should we wait? Should we not? And then all of a sudden I heard we heard this man across on the other side of the subway say, pull her back. And me and two other people went and grabbed this woman. She, she was this, this Chinese woman. We couldn't understand what she was saying. And we had to hold her down while the train passed by. She was about to, to jump in front of the train. But it, 
like, I heard that moment, pull her back. And it was like that man had said this, and I was able to go jump into action. And it was able to be a part of saving this woman's life that I found myself in. This, this woman was in dire need. And it was like that, I, I can still hear that guy say that, pull her back. And that's what sprung me into action. You see, what I could, have, I could have sat there and had compassion for her. What's going on? And I could have thought about her need. But we needed to take action, right? Compassion. And that's what, kids, I want you to write down in your word. Compassion equals action. Compassion equals action. It's not just a feeling you have, but it's an action you take. And that's what the church is called to be and to do. We're called to be people who don't just see needs, but we are called to be people who actually take action and we hear that call, go, go, to there. go to her, help, show up, to actually physically enter in. That's what Jesus did for us. He physically entered in and came and saved us from our desperate need. And so I want to encourage us as we think about this pathway forward that we are called to action. We're called to action Particularly, I'll give you a few ways you can think about acting. Number one, you can think about as you... So I'm kind of passing the ball to you saying, hey, this passage is not just for me to preach. It's for you to receive and for you to take ownership of. Right? It's for you to kind of take the ball and say, how can you take ownership of having compassion on the needs in our community? And I'll give you a couple ways. Number one, be thinking about assessing the needs in our neighborhood. What do you see? What are the needs in our neighborhood? What are the needs that you see? And when you see those needs, email the deacons. <laughs> email me. I'm, I'm so encouraged. I get these emails often where I get like emails saying, hey, what, have, you know, have you seen you know, all, the homeless in our, like, all the homeless in our neighborhood? But I want you to take ownership of that. Number two, be a part of providing relief and development. We, we seek to, to, to have partnerships with organizations in our neighborhood that we want to continue to grow that are providing relief and development. Participate in providing relief and development for the needs. There are plenty of organizations that are doing great work, and we want to build partnerships with those organizations. So we want to be mobilized to do that. And then third, it's vital that we continue to build relationships with all of our neighbors no matter like if they look like us or if they don't. If you have all of your friendships or people who look like you, then the Bible gives you a different picture of what it look, looks like to be a, a neighbor. We should have people and build relationships who, with people who are not like us. I want to conclude with this, that actually, I want to kind of throw a little, a little uh, curveball here. It's not just that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Part of this passage is it's kind of multi-layered. Actually, Jesus wants you to see him. He is the man in need. He is actually the man in need. And let me tell you why I know that. Because later in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, when Jesus is telling another parable, he says, remember what he says? He says, that which you have done to the least of these, you've done to who? You've done to me. And this is talking about the, the final day of judgment. When you come to, Remember when I was hungry? Remember when you passed by? Remember when I was thirsty? and you pass by, Jesus actually identifies himself completely with us in our utter need. He is the one in need because he was actually about to go to his death. He is the one in need, 
And so that is good news because he knows the path forward for all of us is the path of death and resurrection. So I want to, I want to leave you with this quote here and then I'll close. This is a quote from uh, Robert Ferrer Capon in his book on the parables. If you can pull that up. He says this, What is to be imitated in the Samaritan's action is not his moral uprightness and doing good deeds, but his spiritual insight into the truly bizarre working of the mystery of redemption. The lawyer is told by Jesus, in effect, to stop trying to live and to be willing to die, to be willing to be lost rather than to be found, to be, in short, a neighbor to the one who, in the least of his brethren, is already a neighbor to the whole world of losers. Friends, that's the path forward, is to move towards need, because number one, that's what Jesus calls us to embody, but number two, that's where Jesus is. He's already there. He's already present there, and the way forward is through death and through resurrection, and this is how we bring new life when we take action. We bring his new life into the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I do pray, Jesus, we thank you that you are our good neighbor. Thank you for this Uh, passage that you give us. Help us to be people who receive and experience your compassion in our most vulnerable moments so that we can be people who embody your love to those that are the most vulnerable in our neighborhood. And that's where we find you because you're already there identifying with the least and the lost and the last of us. Help us to see your kingdom with new eyes so that we might be mobilized and empowered to move forward and love your world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.